Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's Serious Moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Hello everyone, this is Terry from Texas. I'm back. I had to take a couple of weeks off because I had surgery on my hand and lost a finger, but I know where it went. Uh, you may have some sound quality issues with this because I've got a fan going because it's near 100 degrees here in San Antonio. So bear with me, please, and we'll get to the story here. I want to talk to you about haunted hospitals since I was in a hospital just a couple of weeks ago for a week. And I heard some really strange things while I was there, but I'll tell you at that about that at the end of the show. We have seen report after report after report of one or another televised ghost hunting team's investigation of haunted hospitals. If they get enough of a rise from the viewership, then invariably there's a follow-up or return-to episode presented. Sometimes they just get lazy and present a behind-the-scenes episode which consists of unused footage, deleted things, or B-roll footage. Many times these are very interesting as it gives us, the viewers, a chance to perhaps see behind the curtain of some of these shows. Then we can decide how much to believe or to disbelieve. There seems to be a pool of places for us to choose from if we wish to investigate a haunted locale. And a caveat here, some of the locations can get pretty pricey to set up or join in a ghost hunt. Let's look at some of the more well-known places, shall we? Waverly Hills Sanatorium, Louisville, Kentucky. An epidemic of tuberculosis was overtaxing medical facilities in Kentucky when the state's Board of Tuberculosis Hospitals decided to add on to the 40 to 50 bed sanatorium it had opened in 1910. By 1926, the sanatorium's capacity had increased tenfold. Patients at Waverly could expect treatments that varied from balloons implanted in their lungs to the removal of ribs and chest muscle to allow for lung expansion. When the treatments didn't work, a handy 500-foot tunnel or body chute 
allowed personnel to discreetly send bodies down to be whisked away on waiting trains. Nowadays, the tunnel area is where the ghosts hang out, according to visitors, to what is now a tourist attraction. They have also reported seeing the ghost of a nurse in room 502. According to one Yelp reviewer, we walked up by there and I did get some weird vibes. My hair stood up on my arms and I get a flushed feeling, sometimes a little queasy. It's awesome. Yeah, awesome. The land that is known today as Waverly Hill was purchased by Major Thomas H. Hayes in 1883 as the Hayes family home. Since the new home was far away from any existing schools, Mr. Hayes decided to open a local school for his daughters to attend. He started a one-room schoolhouse on Pages Lane and hired Lizzie Lee Harris as the teacher. Personally, I just err on the side of caution and never hire any help named Lizzie. But I digress, and that's another story anyway. Due to Miss Harris's fondness for Walter Scott's Waverly novels, she named the schoolhouse Waverly School. Major Hayes liked the peaceful sounding name, so he named his property Waverly Hill. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name when they bought the land and opened the sanatorium. It is not known exactly when the spelling changed to include the second E and become Waverly Hills. However, the spelling fluctuated between both spellings many times over the years. In the early 1900s, Jefferson County was severely stricken with an outbreak of tuberculosis. There were many tuberculosis cases in Louisville at the time because of all the wetlands along the Ohio River, which were perfect for the tuberculosis bacteria. To try to contain the disease, a two-story wooden sanatorium was opened, which consisted of an administrative main building and two open-air pavilions, each housing 20 patients, for the treatment of early cases. In the early part of 1911, the city of Louisville began to make preparations to build a new Louisville City Hospital, and the hospital commissioners decided in their plans that there would be no provision made in the new city hospital for the admission of pulmonary tuberculosis, and the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital was given 25000 to erect a hospital for the care of advanced cases of pulmonary tuberculosis. On August 31st of 1912, all tuberculosis patients from the city hospital were relocated to temporary quarters in tents on the grounds of Waverly Hills pending the completion of a hospital for advanced cases. In December of 1912, a hospital for advanced cases opened for the treatment of another 40 patients. In 1914, a children's pavilion was added and it added another 50 beds, making the known capacity around 130 patients. The children's pavilion was not only for sick children, but also for the children of tuberculosis patients who could not be cared for properly otherwise, basically a daycare center. This report also mentions that the goal was to add a new building each year to continually grow so there may have been even more beds available than specifically listed. 
Due to constant need for repairs on the wooden structures, need for a more durable structure, as well as need for more beds so that people would not be turned away due to lack of space, construction of a five-story building that could hold more than 400 patients began in March of 1924. The new building opened in October 17th of 1926, but after the introduction of streptomycin in 1943, the number of tuberculosis cases gradually lowered until there was no longer need for such a large hospital. The remaining patients were sent to Hazelwood Sanatorium in Louisville. Waverly Hills closed in June of 1961. The building reopened in 1962 as Woodhaven Geriatric Center, a nursing home primarily treating aging patients with varying stages of dementia and mobility limits, as well as the severely mentally handicapped. However, Woodhaven failed greatly because it was severely understaffed and overcrowded. Woodhaven also had reports over patient neglect and was closed by the state of Kentucky in 1982. Simpsonville developer J. Clifford Todd bought the hospital in 1983 for $3,005,000. He and architect Milton Thompson wanted to convert it into a minimum security prison for the state, but the developers dropped the plan after neighbors protested. Todd and Thompson then proposed converting the hospital into apartments, but they counted on Jefferson Fiscal Court to buy around 140 acres from them for $400,000, giving them the money to start the project. In March of 1996, Robert Alberdasky bought Waverly Hills and the surrounding area. Alberdasky's Christ the Redeemer Foundation Incorporated made plans to construct the world's tallest statue of Jesus on the site along with an arts and worship center. The statue, which was inspired by the famed Christ the Redeemer statue on Corcovado Mountain in Rio de Janeiro, would have been designed by local sculptor Ed Hamilton and architect Jasper Ward. The first phase of the development, coming in at a cost of $4 million, would have been a statue of 150 feet tall and 150 feet wide, situated on the roof of the sanatorium. The second phase would convert the old sanatorium into a chapel, a theater, and a gift shop at a cost of $8 million or more. The plan to construct this religious icon fell through because donations to the project fell well short of expectations. In a period of a year, only $3,000 was raised towards the project despite efforts to pool money from across the nation. The project was canceled in December of 1997. The tunnel was an entrance and an exit for the workers of the sanatorium. It was built on the first floor with the rest of the building. The corridor is 500 feet to the bottom of the hill and has a set of stairs on one side, which were the stairs used for the workers. On the other side, there was a cart that moved up and down the staircase, which transported supplies and other necessities. It's not really a staircase. There's a staircase on one side and a ramp on the other going along with it. Since antibiotics did not exist in the time that the sanatorium was active, other forms of aid were used for, to treat TB patients. For example, heat lamps, fresh air, and positive talk and reassurance helped to keep patients alive since the death rate of TB patients at the time was one death per day. However, at the peak of the disease, the sight of the dead being carried away in full view of the patients 
lowered the patient morale, increasing the number of deaths per day. Therefore, the sanatorium tried transporting the dead bodies as secretively as possible to increase the morale and lower the death rates using the tunnel to that end. The doctors and workers of this time also believed that this would help lower the diseases. After Alberhaski's efforts failed, Waverly Hills was sold to Tina and Charlie Mattingly in 2001. The Mattingleys hold tours at Waverly Hills and host a haunted house attraction each Halloween with proceeds going toward restoration of the property. They're also currently restoring all the windows in the decrepit building while restoring the interior of the old sanatorium. Waverly Hills Sanatorium hosted the last show of the touring music festival called Sounds of the Underground in 2007 on August 11th of that year. Similar festivals or concerts will likely not happen again at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium due to complaints made by local residents really. The old sanatorium is owned today by private investors who open the historic building up to curious and overnight guests and ghost tours. The tours inform guests of the building's origin and history. On television, Waverly Hills has been popularized on the show Ghost Hunters as being one of the most haunted hospitals in the eastern United States. The sanatorium was featured on ABC Fox Family Channel's Scariest Places on Earth, VH1's Celebrity Paranormal Project, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, Zone Reality's Creepy, the British show Most Haunted, Paranormal Challenge, Ghost Adventures on Travel Channel. It was also featured on paranormal shows Ghost Asylum and Paranormal Lockdown, both on Destination America. It was also mentioned on the CW sitcom Supernatural in Season 11, Episode 23, called Alpha and Omega. Pretty interesting. Almost everybody has been there. We moved to the Eloise Complex in Westland, Michigan. What started as a poorhouse and a farm in 1839 gradually expanded to add a psychiatric hospital and a tuberculosis sanatorium and a county hospital. Eloise was a virtual city unto itself consisting of 76 buildings on a 900-acre property and housing about 10,000 people who were homeless, mentally ill, or in hospital care. Along with 2,000 staff members, it also had many of its own support services, including a fire station, power plant, and cemetery with numbers on the stones instead of names. Modern-day visitors have said they've encountered mysterious moans, screams, and a spectral woman in white at the asylum. An intrepid TV reporter who explored the facility returned with shots of glowing lights floating around her and the camera crew. Eloise went up for sale in 2015 but hasn't found any willing buyers yet. But if you ask about hauntings, Mike Dayan, who is handling the sale, will tell you what he's told others. Can't talk to you. Client's rules. Rolling Hills Asylum in Bethany, New York. The Rolling Hills Asylum opened in 1827 as the Genesee County Poorhouse. According to an official newspaper announcement at the time, the place was open to habitual drunkards, lunatics, one who by disease, grief, or accident lost the use of reason, or from old age, sickness, or weakness, was so weak of mind as to be incapable of governing or managing their affairs. 
paupers, who is a person with no means of income, state paupers, one who is blind, lame, old, or disabled with no income source, or a vagrant, regardless of their reasons for being there. All residents were referred to as inmates. Perhaps that is what the ghosts are so ticked off about. The facility was known to perform lobotomies and electric shock therapy. These days, one of the most frequently seen ghosts is Ray, who died in 1942. Rumored to have been seven feet tall in life, Ray reportedly spends his afterlife as an equally tall shadow, crying. Northfield State Hospital in Northfield, Michigan. Opened in 1952, Northville was one of the more modern mental hospitals in the United States. Northville was an early promoter of art and music for treating patients who could practice playing musical instruments or performing in plays, as well as study trades or work in hospital facilities. But as priorities shifted in the 1970s, Northville declined steadily, closing in the early 2000s. The abandoned hospital then became a subject of local lore. Sneaking into its abandoned buildings was a rite of passage for young people. One visitor even made a whimsical tongue-in-cheek video advertising Northville's former glory and welcoming new patients. Another posted a series of photos from inside. Many of the trespassers who went to look for ghosts instead found hefty fines and community service hours. But some who avoided getting caught described Northville's tunnels, which ran under the hospital to provide heat and water through a system of pipes. In these tunnels, people have reported hearing footsteps and voices, along with the sensation of someone breathing on them. Yeah. Well, moving on. Penhurst Asylum in Chester County, Pennsylvania. When it opened in 1908, Penhurst took in mostly patients with physical and mental disabilities. But like other institutions at the time, Penhurst also held inmates, which encompassed not just actual criminals, but also orphans, immigrants, and pretty much anyone who had nowhere else to go. And also like similar places, Penhurst was self-sufficient with its own power plant and other amenities. By the 1960s, the institution was overcrowded, underfunded, and falling apart. Television reporter Bill Baldini, Pennsylvania's own version of Texas's Marvin Zendler, if you know who that is, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. Exposed abusive and unsafe conditions for children living at Penhurst. And his story helped propel a movement to change the way people with disabilities were housed and treated. But still, the institution remained open until 1987. Penhurst has since become a controversial tourist attraction. Weird New Jersey, a ghost hunting website, reports having picked up a voice saying, we're upset in its recordings within the hospital. At other points in its tape, a female voice asks, why don't you leave? Other voices offer variations on that theme with, go away, or why did you come here? And in an ironic twist, there's also a male voice that reportedly says, I'm scared. Next one is the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. With a history like that of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, it's no wonder that spirits would haunt these grounds. 
The building opened its doors to mentally ill patients in 1864 as the Weston State Hospital. As mental illnesses were not well understood, the hospital held more patients than it was equipped for. Patients were forced to live in unsanitary quarters, were often malnourished, and received questionable medical treatment. As a patient in the asylum, it wasn't uncommon to be restrained and receive electroshock therapy or even lobotomies. Hundreds of patients died in Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. It's said that these deceased patients now roam the asylum, particularly the fourth floor. Many visitors have claimed to communicate with the spirit named Lily. Although Lily's history is a mystery, many have felt her presence in the asylum and alleged she communicates with visitors by interacting with toys in the room dedicated to her memory. Let's go out west. The Linda Vista Community Hospital in Los Angeles, California. Now, it's difficult to picture the setting of one of America's most haunted hospitals in the sunny hills of Los Angeles. But Linda Vista Community Hospital certainly has a reputation for spooky sightings. It was opened in 1904, so it's not particularly modern, but it's a little newer than some. The hospital was successful until the Great Depression and World War II impacted the country. With decreased funding and staff availability, patient deaths escalated until the hospital was forced to close in 1991. Many believe that patient abuse was the true cause for the hospital's high death rates and closure. Although the facility no longer serves patients, Hollywood has relied on it for filming the movie Pearl Harbor, the pilot episode of ER, and other projects. There have been several reports of haunted encounters during filming. Three spirits in particular are said to still roam the halls of Linda Vista Community Hospital. One spirit is an orderly still making his rounds. Others have witnessed a young woman pacing the third floor hallway. The spirit of a little girl has also been reported in the surgical room. I don't know that I'd want to film there if I thought there was something might show up on film. Now here we get closer to home. Yorktown Memorial Hospital in Yorktown, Texas. I have never been there. I've been by I've been through Yorktown, but not to the hospital. Although Yorktown may appear quaint and peaceful, many say that Yorktown Memorial Hospital adds an eerie presence. The building opened in 1950 as a rehabilitation center for individuals addicted to drugs and alcohol. The tormented spirits of many patients that passed away at the hospital are said to have remained inside after its closure in 1980. So it had a relatively short life. It was relatively new, but it was a relatively short life. Yorktown Memorial has a caretaker who claims to have seen plenty of spooky sights, from glowing red eyes to several large black objects. He has also reported that if lights are on at the nurse's station, there's a calm presence. However, once the lights turn off, you may also see many of the departed patients walking through the halls. So, given that people do indeed die in hospitals, some through natural causes, others as a result of a sudden cause, be it violence or accident, do the spirits of some of them hang around the places of their last breaths? A couple of weeks ago, as I said at the start of the show, I went to the ER at a local hospital with an infected finger. It was much more serious than I'd imagined, and I was set up for surgery. 
actually two surgeries, to remove the badly infected finger. There was more to it, but I'll leave it at that. The hospital I was incarcerated—excuse uh, me—that I was hospitalized in is a relatively new one, about nine years if the internet is to be believed. So I go in and get admitted. I'm put on the third floor, had a heart monitor stuck to me, and waited for my surgical turn. As I lay in bed, I kept hearing a noise like a steel ball or a solid plastic one being dropped on the floor above me. And then there was the sound of furniture being scooted around across the floor above me. I didn't, I thought, how inconsiderate, and I passed it off. Besides, I got to watch a bunch of paranormal shows while I was there. Then two days after the initial surgery, they yanked the monitor off of me and dropped me down to the second floor. It was then I found out my second surgery was to be the next morning. A bit of a sleepless night and still with the marbles and the furniture noises. Plus, I could hear people coming into my room as I stared at the door and saw no one actually come in. Surgery came and went, as did my finger, and I was talking to my wife later and I complained about the noises I'd heard, especially on the third floor. How could they be so rude up on the fourth floor? She just quietly answered, there is no fourth floor. Do I think hospitals, even newer ones, can be haunted? You're darn tootin' I do. Hey everybody, this is Terry. I just want to take this moment to thank everybody who sent good thoughts and prayers and things while I was in the hospital, those who saw that I had posted that and my wife had posted. So I really appreciate your input on that, and I know you helped me feel better. Um, I, I use a joke that there's something missing, but I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> it's a dad joke, but hey, you know, what the heck. Um, again, thank you very much for being thoughtful toward me in that time and bearing with me and not running away saying, oh, he's not going to broadcast, so I'm not going to listen anymore. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you being part of the RPA. And have a great week. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour and Unexplained Cases. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a 
black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. And when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.